my daughter, the oldest one, she turns two in December, and she's already kind of getting into that very emotional, everything's the worst thing in the world, meltdown stages of her life. Uh, and I get it, you know, it's like today, I made the horrible move of feeding her from her bowl and not my plate. And obviously that was the end of the world and she fell on the floor and lost it. And there's just a lot of little things like that now. Like, God forbid I put her in her crib to go to bed. That's like the worst thing in the world every night. And she's, she's getting really good now at communicating. And so when we put her down to bed at night and we turn off the light, which is the sign that, hey, it's sleep time, uh, she yells out, no, turn on, turn on. And I'm like, no, it's bedtime. Poppy, please. And she's screaming like she's being murdered in the crib. And I'm just like, dude, chill. Like you're just going to bed. And God forbid I throw a blanket on her. Then it's... Then it's the complete meltdown. And so, and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, well, it is the worst she's ever gone through. And she's learning how to process some of these difficult challenges, some of these rules and regulations and processes that we're giving her that are new to her, but that she has to learn. And I know that's not a big scenario for you and I, but I say that to never diminish what somebody is going through. Another person's tough time may not be tough to you, but it is to them. And it's what they're going through. And it's a process that they're dealing dealing with. And so just because you've been through worse or, or you've in your mind think it's not that big a deal, it doesn't matter because it's not your life. It's their life. And they're going through that. And I love that the Bible, it speaks to what, it, what we need to do when we are going through difficult times, regardless of what that difficult time might look like. And so it might be battling through a severe medical condition, or it might be struggling to raise a child on your own or whatever the situation is. Uh, I love that the Bible gives us insight. And so I'd like for us, if you can, to open up to Hebrews chapter 10, as we start to understand what we are called to do when times get tough. Because there are going to be seasons in your life, right? Uh, we, we are kind of in the middle of the fall season, and then winter's going to show up, and all the cold is going to kick in, and hopefully we can endure that season and get into spring. And life is about seasons. Some seasons are easier than others, and some seasons are harder than others. And so what do we do when we come across a tough season? How do we process that? What does God tell us we need to do? And so I think Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20 through to 25, gives us some good tips on what we should be doing. If you're taking notes, we'll get to that in a second. But verse 22 says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day of the Lord is approaching. Let me just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Father God, this is your word that we're unpacking. And God, I pray that it'll be your voice that speaks to our hearts. Lord, I pray even now, Father God, that as we go through these points that I feel you've given me, Lord, I pray first and foremost that it'll be your voice speaking specifically to the heart of the individual in this room, God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, Father God, to take this into practice, to respond in kind, and to learn and train ourselves to do what you have called us to do. We thank you for this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, I was thinking about this. I was talking to a buddy of mine who just got out of boot camp 
training is an integral part of military. It's an integral part of sports. You know, it's, it's why our star quarterback on the Bears is struggling because he's a rookie and he hasn't had enough training. He hasn't had enough development. Uh, and the funny thing about training is you train, train, train so that when you are in live action, you're no longer thinking, you're just doing what you were trained to do. And I think this scripture gives us a training manual, things that we need to learn how to do, even if you're not in a difficult season, because the best time to prepare for a difficult season is before you have one. But it also gives us tips on what to do if we do find ourselves tonight in a difficult season. And so I love that there are three let us advices here. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this, let us draw near to God. I love this point of advice because it seems pretty easy Right? We can draw near, and it's very important, Hebrews kind of spells it out. We can draw near to God because several issues have been settled. The problem of access to God has been settled. Before Jesus, there was no access to God. You couldn't just go directly before the Lord. But Jesus tore the veil figuratively and literally, and so now you and I have access to speak to God whenever we want. This is a very mind-blowing concept when you really start to think about it. That at any point in your life, you can turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and have an audience with him in a second. I can't even get through to some stores. I can't even get through. I was trying to order a forklift because we're doing our food drive. I couldn't get through to most of them because they didn't open at the time or there was other issues or there's a million little automated buttons that you got to get through and you just give up. But God has instant access whenever you need it, whenever you want it. But the problem, I think, is we use God as kind of a, a glass case break in case of emergency type of situation. Talking to God almost always tends to be, for a lot of us, the last thing we do, not necessarily the first thing we do. So I love that it says, hey, let us draw near to God, because if we're not careful, if we really think about it, God is not always the first one that we draw near to. Well, sometimes we draw near to our friends for advice first. We're going through something and, and hey, I'm, I'm going to talk to my best friend about this or I'm going to talk to one of my girlfriends or one of my guy friends and, and I just need to process it through something. Sometimes we go to pastor first. And hey, listen, we love you, but we need you to understand if you're talking to us before you're talking to God, you got the situation backwards. Because what am I going to confirm that only God can reveal? And so a lot of times you're like, pastor, should I do this? I don't know. What did God say? Like, you're just bringing it to me. I haven't been praying about it. I haven't been thinking about this. You're asking for my random opinion in the moment. And that's all you're going to get is a random opinion. But if you have been praying and if you have been seeking the Lord and you feel like God has given you a word and you bring it to one of the pastors or one of the leaders in the church, then we can confirm that it is God, but it's God who then reveals it to you because you drew near to him first. And it's, again, I was thinking about this. It would be as if my wife had an issue with me or just had an issue in general, and she talks to everyone but me. I'd have an issue with that as her husband. Because in my mind, you should be talking to me first. We're in this relationship together. We're committed to one another. Why are you talking to everybody else and you don't talk to me? And I feel like God feels the same way. He's like, well, why are you asking everybody else for their advice and you don't talk to me? If I'm the one who's going to give you not only the best advice, but the best counsel, the best direction, the best leading, I will give you the best comfort. I will give you the best peace. I will give you the best of everything if we learn to draw near to God, because oftentimes as we're pulling towards somebody else, we really are pulling away from God. And God forbid if we start going to people who don't have even a relationship with God, now you're asking for advice from unbelievers on things that only God can give you direction on. 
And this is something I often talk with kids about, with the teenagers. You know, I'm like talking to 13-year-olds, asking why you're asking a 10-year-old advice on dating. It's like, it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, you know, we're sitting here and you're asking your buddy on, on advice on marriage and they're on their 16th marriage and you're wondering why it's, it's just, you're going to the wrong thing first. And I'm not saying any of those other people you can't talk to at all, but I love that the word here says, hey, let us draw near to God. Let's press in in those moments. When things are getting difficult, when things are getting tough, draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 21 says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, right? I, I love this idea. He's saying, listen, this is a God who gets it, who understands it and has opened access to you. All you got to do is walk through the door. All you got to do is draw near to God. The business of life may cause you to drift from intimacy with God, but fight to maintain that intimacy. Or you'll quickly realize how weak and truly helpless you are without God's strength. Anytime we find ourselves in trouble and in a difficult situation, there is a temptation to drift in your intimacy from God. Especially if you feel like it's a result of your own sin or your own self-inflicted wounds. And just to use a different analogy, and I see this a lot when I'm talking to parents, and those of you who are parents might fully understand this. When your child is going through something very difficult, the thing you want more than anything on this world is that they would talk to you. And I've seen parents with tears in their eyes saying, I don't know why they won't talk to me. And in those moments, I feel like that's what the Lord feels like often as well. I don't understand why they won't talk to me. And so I just want to encourage you, when you are finding yourself in these challenging moments, in these stressful moments, in these moments where you just feel like you're going to fall apart, that's okay, but fall apart in the arms of the Father. Fall apart in the arms of a God who wants you to fall apart in his arms because he cares for you and he loves you. And he's opened that door for that very specific reason so that we can draw near to God. Second thing we notice as Hebrews continues to go on, it says, let us draw near to God and let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. We got to hold on to hope. Let us hold on to hope. This is a big one. Right? Because a lot of times we don't know how things are going to turn out. God does, but we don't. We don't fully understand how things are going to unveil. And so we have to hope in the Lord. And, and it's important to understand that our hope is not a general hope. It's not a wishful hope. It's not like, hey, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope this turns out right. It's a hope that is placed in the personhood of Jesus and understanding that he wants what's best for you, that you're drawing near to him. And because you are drawing near to God, that is where your hope lies. Right, And so if you put your hope in the wrong thing, you're going to end up hopeless. But if you put your hope in God, then you understand, hey, that's where my confidence lies. And because my confidence lies in that, I can keep going forward. And again, we've all been in, in different jobs probably where, where you got to lean on somebody for something. And there's some people that when you lean on, you worry because, you know, yeah, that person is not going to pull through. <laughs> That person does not do their job or, or God forbid if you've ever, you know, had a work project where you had to work with somebody else and you knew they weren't going to step up. There's not a lot of hope you put in, in doing well in that situation. 
But when you have somebody that you fully trust, that you are confident in, that, that you know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, when I give them something or when I put something on them, I know they're going to come through. You don't even think twice about it. I know for me as, as a staff member in this church, I always had it in my heart that if, if whoever was over me, whether it was pastor or even when I was just a leader, whoever was over me, my, my goal was whenever something was handed off to me, I didn't want you to ever have to think about that again. I wanted you to be able to put your hope in me and knowing, no, I got this. This is done. You don't have to ever consider this again. And I, I want to have that same feeling with God that when I put my hope in God, I don't got to think twice about it. I don't got to sit there and keep dwelling, but how is it going to work out? And, and why is it going to work out this way? No, no, no. My hope is in God. I'm going to trust him in the results. And I'm going to be faithful to whatever God tells me to do. But my hope for the outcome is in him. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Again, just my... my last 12 years have been spent with teenagers and it's amazing to me as a teenager, you know, they think every little thing is the end of the world, right? Every little sixth grader who gets their heart broken by a boy or a girl, it's like, oh, I'll never love again. And uh, that was the one. And they're just, it's this huge, massive thing. And there's a part of you in the back of your mind, you don't want to do it to their face, but in the back of your mind, you kind of chuckle. You're like, buddy, you ain't even gonna remember this person in four years. <laughs> like, it's not that big a deal. And we get that as we're older, but does it really change? It's just maybe a different scenario that you're going through, maybe a little bit higher stakes, but it's still the same situation when where something happens and we start to feel helpless and we start to feel hopeless that we start to pull away from God. And here's normally what we do is we take the hope away from God and we put the hope in our own hands. I'll do this. I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll figure this out. I'll manage this. I got to do it myself. And what I've discovered is the more we put our hands in it, the more God takes his hands off. And he says, okay, go ahead. Do it yourself. And I get it. I do that to my daughter all the time. Okay, you do it then. Go ahead. That hurt, right? Don't do that no more. <laughs> like, there's a lot of times where I'm like, fine, let you figure out that you need it. And then when she's struggling, I go, do you need help? And she'll look at me and go, help? I go, okay, I'll help you. And I think God does that to us a lot of times. When we start, stop putting our hope in him and we start putting our hope in ourselves, the worst thing God can do is let you do that. And he lets you put your hope in your own hands. And then when that fails, he looks at you and he goes, help? And we look bad at God and say, yeah, help. And I love that God doesn't stick it to us. I love that God doesn't sit there and say, no, well, now I'm not going to help you. God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. But we can avoid so much if we put our hope in him first rather than in him last. And the third let us consider that I notice here is let us consider one another, right? And let us not neglect meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially as the day of his return is drawing near. Uh, when times are very difficult, one of the most animalistic and natural sinful things you will see in humanity is self-preservation. I'm gonna look out for me. I'm gonna take care of mine. Uh, I'm gonna take care of my family. Again, let's look back, right? Think about the, the beginning of this pandemic. All of a sudden, no one could get toilet paper. It was toilet paper. 
But everyone's like, oh, well, toilet paper's gonna run out. I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna get so much toilet paper. And it's like, really? You just don't think about anybody else? You're not considering anybody else? And even recently, man, there's a, there was a tortilla shortage and everybody's hitting each other up where the, where the tortillas are at. And my local Aldi has some tortillas. So I, was, I was hooking it up and I'm calling my family. You need tortillas, you need tortillas. And those are, you know, silly things. But then when it comes to real serious things, God forbid, if we ever do get into a situation where there's an energy scarcity or a water scarcity, you'll see the reality of the sinful nature tear people apart. Because at the end of the day, when sin really kicks in, we think self-preservation. I'm going to take care of me. I don't care about anybody else. It's me and maybe my family. And I love what the word is saying here. It's the opposite. When times are tough, consider one another. Think about other people. Think about each other. You know, last year, uh, if you notice some of the pallets of food, please don't take it yet. You can come on November 6th and take as much as you want. Um, but uh, we did, we kind of pivoted because every year we did this Share the Love and the Grub food dinner where we invited all the students and their families to come out and have this big dinner. And it was our opportunity to get to know parents who maybe didn't come to our church and build some relationships. But obviously, uh, we weren't able to do that the last year. And this year, we weren't able to do it either. But what we did last year is we pivoted and we thought, well, it's share the love and the grub. Let's still do that. Let's share love and let's share grub. And so we uh, were connected with Convoy of Hope and we got a trailer full of food and we distributed almost 2,000 bags of groceries to the community. And our kids thought it was awesome and we're doing it again this year. And the look on our students' face, they weren't disappointed that they didn't get to eat. They were thrilled at the faces of the people they got to serve. And there were so many students at the end of that event who ran up to me and said, can we please do this again next year? And I said, absolutely. Why? Because we got to consider one another. It's not just about you. It's not like the kids were like, oh, I want this. Don't give that out. No, no. They were willing to give everything out. And I want us to continue as a church. I think it's important for us to always have that mentality of, well, how is my brother and sister doing? not just how are we doing. Maybe we're okay, but maybe they're not okay. And maybe I help them when they're not okay, and then maybe they help me when I'm not okay. And maybe we help each other because we've been called to be the body of Christ, and that's what the body of Christ does. And we have to combat that sinful inclination to just think about you. And so uh, let's take it a step further, right? Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Maybe it's not all about you. Maybe it's about the person next to you. You know, you'll hear things like, oh, well, we, hey, we, we want to hear some testimonies. We want to put a video together or something like that. I remember we tried to do that a few years ago, and we barely got anybody. Almost nobody gave us their story. And a lot of times you'll hear that from people, oh, I'm, I don't know. I don't know my story. I'm scared to tell my story. And I'm nervous about telling my story. I hear that a lot of times during baptisms. Do I have to speak? I'm like, well, you don't have to, but it'd be really nice if you did. Well, I'm nervous. Well, what if it's not about you? What if your story is what leads somebody else into a relationship with Christ. Well, you know, I'm, I'm too busy to serve and, you know, this and that. Well, what if it's not about you? What, what if it's about the other people that benefit? Not everything you do is always going to benefit you, but maybe it'll benefit others. 
couple of weeks ago, I was traveling to um, Springfield and I, we were doing an event all day and we, that's the day we went apple picking with the kids. So I was apple picking with the kids all day. I had just enough time to get home, pack, get a bunch of stuff on, get on the road and drive three and a half hours to get to where I was going so I can speak the next morning. And while I was planning this a couple of weeks ahead of time, a cousin of mine messaged me and uh, they're not really serving God. They believe in God, but they don't live for him or anything like that. And they said, hey, our son is turning 16. Would you mind coming over and sharing some, some words at his birthday party? Now, honestly, I don't have time for that, like in just the practical sense of it. I don't have time. This would be a very challenging thing for me to try to pull off, go out of my way, you know, the whole thing. But I remember thinking, how am I going to drive three and a half hours to preach to a congregation that I don't know, and I won't take 30 minutes to preach to my own family, who's literally asking me to come preach a sermon? <laughs> And so immediately I said, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. Uh, you know, I, I got to head out so I won't be able to stay because, you know, if you go to one of those family parties, you're there all night. I'm like, buddy, I can't stay. I'm going to have to go on. And I went, almost nobody in the family there were really believers, but they set up this little makeshift area in the garage. They had all these seats out. I didn't think it was going to be like this. They're like, hey, would you mind speaking for like 20 minutes? And uh, we got this whole thing. And I was like, sure. I wrote a little mini sermon at the stoplight on my way there. God just downloaded a word for me. And I got up and for about 25 minutes, I preached the word. And man, the family was crying and literally they're like, you ruined the party, Joey, we're all crying. And, and I, I chuckled and afterward, you know, some family members who didn't know me as well were like, can I have your number? A lady came up to me, stage four cancer, asked if I would pray for her. And I mean, it just became a prayer meeting. It became church in a garage. And did that benefit me personally? Did I get an honorarium or did I, you know, it was a part of my job, quote unquote? There was no inherent benefit to me personally outside of the satisfaction of I'm serving God and I'm taking care of my family. So was it worth you know, all the hours out of my way and all the time it took to get there and all that other stuff? Absolutely, and I would do it a million times over. What if it's not about you? I remember, just one more story and then I'll get toward this last verse. I remember... This is years ago, a student reminded me of her play that I said I would go to. And it was the Friday that was coming up and I had totally forgot I said I would go to her play. And that Friday I had Bulls tickets. They were in the playoffs that day and I had playoff Bulls tickets. And I remember thinking, oh no. <laughs> I didn't say anything to her. I said, okay, yeah, I remember, I'll be there. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? And obviously I spent all day trying to sell the tickets and I, was, I managed to sell the tickets. I remember picking up flowers, some chocolates. I sat with her family. I watched this like hour and a half long play. And in the entirety of the play, she had one line. And one moment in the play, she said, yes. That's it. She had three letters in the whole play. And I remember sitting there going, sweet Jesus, three letters? I gave a Bulls tickets for three letters. I don't remember who the Bulls played. I don't remember the score. I think we lost. But she'll never forget that I was at her play. Because what if it's not about you? And so, you know, we, we're in this time right now where we're wondering, well, when are people going to come back to church? And I'm telling you, we can put the best program on and Pastor Jason can sing the best songs and we can preach the best sermons. But people will not come back or for the first time if you personally aren't bringing them. It's about the personal relationship with them. That's why it says, hey, let us spur on one another to doing good works. Uh, what is it? Not neglect meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
Ask yourself, have you come into the room on a Wednesday, maybe particularly on a Wednesday or even on a Sunday, and asked, where is everybody? And then ask yourself, have you called those people that you haven't noticed are here? Have you checked in on them? Have you seen how they're doing? Have you seen if they still live in the city? Have you, have you gone out of your way to encourage, to spur them on, to say, hey, you know what? I haven't seen you in a while at church. I just want to let you know we miss you. You know, I, I know Brother Gary's amazing at remembering everybody's name, but that is not his sole job as the elder to call every single person in this room. By the way, you do a good job with that, Brother Gary. I appreciate you. But it is the job of us as a church to spur each other on, to encourage one another, to say, hey, I'm going to the prayer meeting tonight. Would you want to come? Maybe we can get a cup of coffee beforehand, just catch up, see how everything's going. Those are the kinds of things that, that grow and build and spur each other on into good works. Listen, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When you go out of your way, to serve others. Don't be surprised when someday someone goes out of their way to serve you. It always comes back around the way God does things. And again, I've never, I've never taken an opportunity to refresh somebody, to love on somebody where I didn't find God returned that to me at some point or some way or form. When we find ourselves in difficult times, we need to draw in close to the presence of God. We need to hold on to that hope that we have in who he is and what purpose and plan he has for our life. And then we need to make sure we pull other people in there with us who maybe don't have the courage to pull into God or, or discouraged or struggling with something that is so far deep that they need your hand to pull them up and pull them in. If we're going to get through difficult times, that's the recipe to do it. And so I don't know if maybe tonight you find yourself in a challenging or difficult time. But I do know that we all know somebody who is. So whether you have someone or you know someone, I'm gonna ask Pastor Jason in a moment if he would help me out. I think tonight we need to follow the recipe. In a moment, I wanna challenge all of us to draw near to God. And I wanna explain a little bit what that might look like because it sounds simple, but what do you actually do? Drawing near to God is about intimacy. And the way I've always described it to our students is intimacy, if you can break it down, is into me see, right? It's, it's an opportunity where you let God look into you. It's vulnerability, it's honesty, it's transparency. It's, it's opening up to God and saying, God, I'm scared or I'm struggling or I'm afraid or I'm hurting or I'm just uncertain, my faith is wavering. It's a moment of transparency and vulnerability before the Lord that creates intimacy and closeness to the Father. And again, I'm sorry that I'm always using analogies with my kids now because I'm that parent, but that's just who I spend. Anytime I'm not here, I'm there. So you're, that's the stories you're going to get. <laughs> but I think about it when my daughter is scared or hurt, she follows that recipe. Not with God yet, we're teaching her that. But with mom and dad. When she's scared or when she hurts herself, the first thing she wants is she cries and she lifts up her hands. She wants one of us to hold her. And we hold her and we draw her near and we comfort her. And then we assure her of the hope that she has in us. It's okay, baby. I got you. You're fine. You're okay. We'll help. And the funny thing is, now the older daughter, she's used to that. When her younger sister, Olivia, cries, she'll go over to the crib and she'll caress her face. And she'll go, it's okay, Liv. It's okay. 
It's amazing to me how she just picked up on what we taught her. Now she's leading her sister and teaching her. And there are times where Liv is crying or something, and she'll go, Mommy! (laughs) Pointing to her sister. She needs you. Now if a one and a half year old and a two month old get it, I think we can get it. So I'm gonna ask you to stand.